Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 194 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, though, by the infamous, the elusive, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joe. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right. I don't believe this show will be, um, you know, will be very long in, in terms of the length and stuff. I don't think there's too much to go over, really. We're going to start, obviously, though, with the review part. We're going to start at the Allianz Cloud in Milan, Italy. Obviously, a Metrum Italy show. It was on the Friday night. Um, one or two fights to mention. Firstly... Friend of the show, former world champion Jamie McDonald. It's his first fight back since losing to Inoue in a round. He picked up his 30th career win, now 30-3 and three with one draw. It was a unanimous decision over six rounds against the very tough journeyman Christian Nevarez, who's now 15-16 and 16 with four draws. I think he'd only been stopped the one time. Um, and topping the bill, Francesco Patera, 21-3. and three. He successfully defended his EBU European lightweight title title against Paul Highland Jr. 20 and 1 going in now 20 and 2. Um, obviously it took Ritson, I think it was one or two rounds to get rid of him. I think it was one round and um we kind of said Patera beating Ritson. You'd have to kind of look at that and say he's the favorite. He was actually able to get Highland Jr. out of there after six rounds. So um it's a TKO there for Patera. Paul Highland Jr. really did give it a go, though. I'd like to see him take on Sean Mashadod, perhaps, if if Mashadod's still fighting. Uh, moving out now to York Hall in Bethnal Green, London, United Kingdom, a card that I was actually there for. Uh, I want to start on the undercard with C.R. Osgo, actually. Um, a guy that, like I say, got knocked out by Mikey Saki. Mikey Saki was 5-2. and two. It was for the Southern Area title. That was way back, though. And um, obviously, since losing at Southern Area level, being knocked out, Osgo, I think he was 15 and... No, I think he was 14-0. and 0. Um, He got in there with, I think it was um, Victor Postal. And then he got in there with someone else. And then he got in there last week with Anthony Yidget. So, obviously, um, it was, it was you know, tough matchmaking once again for Osgo. He's got a big set of balls. He really does. And he lost um, he lost on points after eight rounds. Yidget now 24-1 and one with one draw. Osgo 15-4. and four. But I've got to say, Osgo's a tough guy, man. He was giving it his all. I've got to say, Yidget didn't win, you know super easily I mean he won clearly but he was having to really work it wasn't an easy night's work there at the York Hall uh, also on the bill Daniel Egbunike I think his name said he's now 5-0 and it was a points win after 10 rounds against Martin McDonough who was 5-0 and both men were undefeated putting their O's on the line uh, Martin McDonough actually hadn't lost a round as a professional but he was well he lost the fight here, so he lost a few rounds, and I think the right man did win. Um, he seemed to just want to always kind of force the fight. Egbonike, I think they call him D 
DK, I think they call him. But anyway, he was he was pretty good. He was trying to force the fight. Martin McDonough had great, great, great feet, the way he glided around the ring, but he just wasn't throwing enough shots. And sometimes he would throw a brilliant, brilliant shot. And you just thought, wow, he's got so much potential. He needs to, you know, do that a little bit more often. He was he was finding some fantastic shots, but they were so few and far between. Like I say, the right man won there on points over ten rounds. Also on the bill, Ryan Walsh, twenty-three and two with two draws. He took on Lewis Paulin, 12-0. It was for Walsh's British featherweight title. It ended up in a split decision over 12 rounds in favour of Walsh. It was a very, very close fight, actually. I felt like um, Paulin really announced himself on that British scene. A lot of people will be trying to stay away from him now because he had a real shout of actually winning it. Um, he was he was brilliant, actually, Lewis Paulin. He's, he's really gained a fan in me there. And also on the bill, O'Hara Davies very questionably picked up a win here, now 19-2. and It was a points win over 10 rounds against Miguel Vasquez, 41-8 and now. His team were fuming. Um, they were cussing in Spanish after the bout, and rightly so, to be honest. Even O'Hara Davies himself actually shook his head at the decision from the referee. Um, the referee was... Uh, who was that referee? Ian John Lewis, that was it. So he was actually the guy refereeing and judging the fight. You'd probably have to say if it was three judges it would have been a unanimous decision you'd have thought it definitely wouldn't have been in favor of O'Hara Davies even himself like I say even he wasn't pleased with the outcome it was a clear win for Miguel Vasquez and he just didn't get it so um it's a shame because if it was actually for a belt they could probably moan to a sanctioning body and they'd get involved and have another look at it and stuff like that but I'm not quite sure he can do anything so it's very very bad luck there for Miguel Vasquez um we did go to the predictions though if I'm not mistaken on that and I went with Davies on points I as so did you the listeners actually believed that Davies would get the knockout that didn't happen so by hook or by crook we managed to gain a point there uh, moving out now to the Pechanga Resort and Casino in California USA um, over here let's start with the undercard um, Junior Far 17-0 and going in obviously the uh the is he? I think he's from New Zealand. He fought and beat Joseph Parker in the amateurs. He took on the wily veteran Dominic Gwynn, uh, thirty-seven and twelve with one draw. He actually had far down in the fourth round, Gwynn, but he managed to get up Junior Far and um, and win unanimously over ten rounds. Also on the bill, Carlos Adames. He picked up win number eighteen. It was for the NABF Super Welterweight title and also the WBO NABO Super Welterweight title. In the other corner. Patrick Day, 17-3 and three now with one draw. Like I say, Adames, 18-0, completely undefeated. A unanimous decision there over 10 rounds. He's got a brilliantly bright future, Adames. And topping the bill, Richard Comey, 28-2. He took on Raimundo Beltran, 36-8 with one draw. Friend of the show, it was for the IBF World Lightweight title. Um, obviously, Beltran actually fouled the weight, so the belt wasn't on the line for him, unfortunately. He came over, I think it was almost two pounds over over the limit. Um, yeah, Beltran was actually down on the canvas twice in the first round, and, you know, he seemed to come back into it, actually. He seemed to have, um, I wouldn't say have Comey in trouble as such, but he seemed to really have great moments where he seemed to hurt him a few times, Comey. And um, it was it was credit to Beltran, like I say, because he is a guy that 
honestly, he's past his best, but he's still able to mix it with these type of fighters. Like I said on last week's show, I felt like Comey was getting Beltran at the right time. I actually predicted the knockout, and that is what happened. Uh, Beltran was down in the fifth round also, I should mention, and then, like I say, he was down in the eighth round. Um, Not all the knockdowns were heavy knockdowns, but... The referee had seen enough after the 8th round knockdown, so I gained a point there for getting the Comey knockout right, unfortunately. And I, as you, went with Beltran on points. The listeners actually agreed with me, Comey by knockout, so we gained a point there. Um, but yeah, gutted really for Raimundo Beltran, really gutted for him. But a good win there for Richard Comey, um, obviously a big threat there. At lightweight. Uh, Moving out now to the Sam's Town Hotel and Gambling Hall in Las Vegas, Nevada. One or two fights to mention. Just the one. Cameron Crow. I I believe that's a... I think it's a Mayweather fighter. But his record 16 and 13 with three draws. But anyway, he got in there against Keith Hunter. That's, of course, the brother of heavyweight Michael Hunter. Keith Hunter now 11 and 0. He was able to win unanimously over 10 rounds there. Um, that's another another fight on a Mayweather card. He's he's managed to win, I believe, a couple in a row now. Moving out now, though, to the Foxwoods Resort in Mashantucket, Connecticut, USA. One fight to mention on this bill. Former world champion Chad Dawson, he picked up win number 35 in what was his 40th fight. He's got the five losses. It was a unanimous decision over eight rounds against Quinton Rankin, who was 15-5 and five now, 15-6 and six with two draws. But Rankin actually had Dawson down in the fight which is a bit worrying there to be honest um moving out now to the nrg arena in houston texas usa we're going to start here with the undercard erickson lubin was able to knock out in four rounds zakaria atu um so yeah lubin now 21 and one and topping the bill jamal charlo 29 and 0 now it was a unanimous decision against brandon adams 21 and 2 it was for the wbc world middleweight title a defense there for charlo um i was actually very surprised by this fight charlo was getting hit way too often it was very very close actually um, you know, the rounds. I'm not saying that he dropped loads of rounds. I'm just saying it was very competitive. It was way too competitive for my liking. I wasn't that impressed with Charlo. And the size difference between the pair was just unbelievable. I expected him to knock out Adams. I think I said it on last week's show. He would definitely knock him out within four rounds. I may have even said three rounds. Because that guy got knocked out, I think it was in two rounds, by John Thompson, who Liam Smith knocked out. So that did not look good. But anyway, he was able to carry Jamal Charlo the distance. So like I say, that is not a statement at all in my eyes. And moving out now to the final bill at the Dunkin' Donuts Center in Providence, Rhode Island, USA. Um... I'm going to throw it over to you here, Ayaz. Cal Yafai, 26-0, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Norbelto Jimenez, now uh, now 29-9 with four draws. It was a defense of Yafai's WBA World Super Flyweight title. Another fight, really, Ayaz, what was, I hate to say it because he's a friend of the show, Cal Yafai, but a little bit boring. Uh, yes, it's a little bit boring, obviously. There's another Cal Yafai win, obviously. I mean, his opponent was, was really a nobody, to be fair. But, I mean, you can't really do much, obviously, at the end he's, he's Britain's longest champion. I mean, to be fair, he needs a big fight. So he needs something like a... Charlie Edwards. Yeah. Charlie Edwards, a Strada, a Chocolito. I mean, he's fought all these, he's fought all these like, like nobodies. He needs a big fight now, I think. Obviously, let's just see how he steps up. Yeah, I do really want to see that Charlie Edwards fight. I feel like he's had a few of these lacklustre performances, Kalia fight, and I think a big fight with Charlie Edwards, especially because it's an all-British thing, but I feel like he would get 
good money and we'd all be interested. It's, it's just a fight where if he was to win it, that would kind of catapult him a little bit higher up in that, um, you know, in that world title kind of level. I feel like he would, he would, he would have a brilliant career. If he beats Charlie Edwards, then he certainly gets my, you know, my, my check mark, if you like. He's already got my check mark, but, you know, a fight against Charlie Edwards, that's, that's got a bit of real beef. It's been brewing for a while now. Let's just make it happen. They're both going to get career high paydays. Why not? I mean, Charlie Edwards wants it. Let's see. Uh, Joseph Parker managed to pick up win number 26. He's got those two losses. It was actually a TKO in the 10th round against Alex Leopai. I couldn't believe it went as far as the 10th round. It wasn't a great card, in all honesty, the whole bill here in Rhode Island. Um, yeah, Leopai, I mean, he was taking big shots, real spiteful, spiteful shots from Joseph Parker. And I thought the old guy Leopai, 39, I believe he was, in the ring on Saturday night, I couldn't believe he was taking the shots, I mean, Parker was ripping to the body, to the head, he was finding him with monstrous looking uppercuts, it was real spiteful, but he managed to go 10 rounds, and it was the referee that jumped in actually, and Leopold was protesting straight away, he wasn't happy about it, um, you know, it was it was one of those fights that kind of does take time off your career and stuff like that, even possibly your life really, because it was just completely one-sided, Parker won every single round, but Leopi wasn't going to go anywhere, and that was quite surprising, because I thought Park would probably take him out within a few rounds, um, but yeah, 10th round TKO there, um, Alex Leopi 32-8 and eight with four draws, Joseph Parker 26-2, and two. and topping the build, Demetrius Andrade now 28-0, and oh. it was a defense of his WBO world middleweight title against Masio Selecki now 28-2, and two. Um, yeah, Andrade, at the very start, when he was able to put Selecki down in the first round, I thought, whoa, I mean, he's telling the truth, he, we had him on last week's show, he said to me, I want to be the first man to stop him, he's been down against Rosado, he's been down against Daniel Jacobs, I think he'd been down against somebody else, I want to be the man to actually stop him, and I really believed him in that first round, I was thinking, who is this guy, and what has he done with Demetrius Andrade, why is he being so aggressive, and, um, I mean, he just seemed to kind of lay off him, and, uh, and he was happy to just beat him on points, it seemed, after that first round. I mean, he had a few good rounds after that. He was, he was again, in full control. I think someone said, it was a great statistic, I think someone said that he has not let his opponent land double figures. So that's literally under 10. Under 10 shots have been landed on him in every single round for something like the last 48 rounds that he's done. That's incredible. That is incredible. He does bring something that, you know, that that some of the other fighters don't have in terms of the guys that want to fight uh, Triple G and Canelo and stuff like that. I do want to see those fights happen. I'd like to see him fight Triple G, actually. But I feel like those type of guys would bring the best out of him. This wasn't a statement made. It was a bit of a boring fight, like I say. But um, he looked great in parts of it. But some of the other parts, he was just happy to coast. And unfortunately, that's... That's not what the fans like. And before he signed with Eddie Hearn, he was very, very inactive. And with performances like that, you kind of understand perhaps why. Um, but again, I take nothing away from Andrade. He is one of my real favorite fighters. I think he's one of the very best in the world. So I'd love to see him in these big fights. But please, not another Selecki, not another Kauten Dokwa. We want to see the big names. We'd like to see the Billy Joe fight, even though I think Billy Joe himself is to blame for that fight not happening but it is what it is any words on andre dyers just before we wrap it up i mean he should be fair he just needs a big fight that's what i mean both kim Cal, him and Cal, both need big fights and that's what it is 
Yeah, and and Joseph Parker. I think uh, all three of the main attractions on that card in in Providence all need big names to fight. So uh, yeah, it wasn't a bad card in terms of the names. I was looking forward to it, but the action just wasn't great. And it's perhaps because all three of those guys may have been a little bit unmotivated for those opponents. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just throwing a lifeline in there. But that is about everything for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the 2016 Olympic silver medalist and the undefeated featherweight world contender. It is, of course, Mr. Shakur Stevenson. Shakur, welcome back on the show. Uh, what's up, what's up, what's up? What's up, what's up, what's up? Shakur, we last spoke, like I say, back in January. Um, it was just after that win over Jesse Rosales. Obviously, you fought once again in April against former world title challenger Christopher Diaz. Uh, you pretty much shut him out, really, over 10 rounds. Please talk us through that fight briefly. I guess that was a fight where everybody said I, sh- I was taking it too early. and uh, A lot of people thought that he was going to beat me. I don't know why they would think that, but... I went in there and I uh, I, I whitewashed him. Uh, it was an easy fight. I think I won every round. If I ain't won every round, I probably lost one round. I didn't even think I lost one round. But it was an easy fight, so... And Shakur, being a guy like Diaz, I mean, obviously he'd only lost the one fight to Masayuki Ito, a world champion. Uh, does that kind of give you a little bit more reassurance that you are at that top level this early on in your pro career, or perhaps not? Nah, I already knew that. I've been, I told you I've been in the ring with uh, Lemachenko, Crawford, Gary Russell. I done been in the ring with world champions already, so I already know what kind of level I'm on. So. I knew that, but the world didn't know that, so... Yeah, they got to see it. Yeah, very well said. I like that answer there. And obviously, your next fight has been penciled in for July thirteenth against Franklin Manzanilla. Uh, tell me what you know about this guy, Shakur. Uh, I'm not gonna act like I know a lot about. Him. I don't know too much about him. Uh, the most things I know, uh, that dude that was giving Riggard out a hard time, uh, his last fight. I guess that dude beat him. The guy I'm fighting. Yeah, beat the dude that was giving Rigo a hard time. That Rigo knocked out. Yeah, this this guy, Franklin, I mean, he's got 17 knockouts from 18 wins. Uh, obviously, quite quite a big puncher there. And he's got five losses, but he's only been stopped once, and it was almost seven years ago. In his very last fight, he actually boxed Ray Vargas for the WBC Super Bantamweight World title, and he lost on points, but he actually and he was, yeah, he actually had the champion down in the second round. He was giving him round. trouble. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I was going to say, he was giving him trouble. Yeah, he had him down in that second round. Um, so, yeah, he's probably the biggest puncher you'd have faced thus far in a pro ring Shakur I don't agree with that I think Chris Diaz was because the difference between him and uh, Chris Diaz is Chris Diaz was coming down from 130 he's coming up from 122 so I don't agree that he will be the biggest puncher okay that I thought but it's it's up for debate. Both 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 obviously big punchers like I say and um, after this fight Shakur should everything go to plan do you want a world title fight after this, or would you be more interested in another big fight with a guy that doesn't hold a world title, but, you know, he's, he's up there in people's estimations, a guy like Carl Frampton, even though he's just announced he'll be fighting in, yeah. in early August? Uh, I, 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 honestly, I want a, a world title fight, but um, I think that Oscar Valdez is uh, moving up to 130, so if anything, I would rather... Me and uh, Frampton fight for the title. I'm number one in the uh, WBO and I'm number one in the WBA now. So 
I feel as though it's time for a world title shot after this fight. Yeah, I was going to say there, obviously the WBA, they, they put their rankings out the other day and you've been placed now at number one. Um, obviously at the minute, the, the full champion is Leo Santa Cruz, but it's a bit annoying because obviously the politics in boxing, you'd you'd feel probably prevent that fight from happening. So being number one, it's, it's, it's great. It's a great statistic, but that's a fight that probably unfortunately for boxing fans won't get made. Yeah, most definitely. But uh, if they were to make me the mandatory, uh, that fight would definitely be made. So hopefully uh, they make me the mandatory for uh, one of these champions. That way they, they have no choice but to fight me. And obviously you mentioned also be, being number one in the WBO as well. Um, you mentioned there about Oscar Valdez, a fun fighter. Um, you know, he's he's looking to move up perhaps. You know, that fight, if he didn't move up, you'd imagine would be probably the easiest one to get made out of the lot. But... Um, I don't know, what's your thoughts on that, Shakur? Because a lot of people kind of talk about you and Warrington, you and Frampton, all these all these other names. Not so much Valdez, though, for some reason. <laughs> yeah, if you want my honest opinion, I was trying to, uh, I wasn't going to say too much about it, but I kind of feel like, uh, they don't, I don't know why they don't want to see that fight. Like, I feel like me and Valdez would be a big, big fight in the uh, U.S. and I feel like a lot of people will be tuned into that and, uh, I don't know if it's because he's with Top Rank. Top Rank don't mention it, or ESPN don't mention it, but I don't see a lot of people mentioning it either. I don't understand that, so I'm just as confused about it as you. <laughs> They're looking after him. They're looking after him well. Um, obviously, <laughs> Josh Warrington, uh, Shakur, Josh Warrington, he, he just fought Kid Galahad. Uh, I don't know if you saw the fight, but a lot of people felt like Kid Galahad perhaps nicked it. Did you see it at all to give a fair assessment? Uh, nah, I ain't really watched too much of the fight. I saw highlights, and it did look like uh, Josh Warrington had a hard time. So I don't really know who won, but I wouldn't mind fighting either of them. But I would love to fight Warrington for his belt. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind going to England and fighting him either. So I wish that fight could happen. I mean, I want to I wanna ask you, Shakur, honestly. I mean, it's looking like the WBO is the route that is the most obvious one to go down. You know, for a vacant belt, that'd be, again, the easiest route, really. But if it was up to you, if you could literally fight any one of the guys I'm going to mention here, Leo Santa Cruz, Carl uh, Frampton, Josh Warrington, Oscar Valdez, which one would you prefer to fight if it was up to you? If it was up to me, I would prefer to fight Josh Warrington in England. And the only reason I say that because I feel like that would be a, a big, big fight. I feel like that would be a fight that would turn me into the superstar that I want to be. So I feel like that, that'd be a perfect fight for me. Yeah. Very well said. Very true. Again, we'd, we'd love to see you fight over here, Shakur. We really would. Um, and just finally, Shakur, before I let you go, we've kind of gone through things pretty quickly. Have you got any closing words at all, just for our listeners before we let you go, my friend? Oh yeah. Uh, just tune in July 13th. Uh, I'm fighting on ESPN and I'm ready to put on the show now. So uh, it's against Frank Manzelli. He's a tough competitor, but uh, it's my time, so I'm ready to show off in my city. Absolutely, absolutely. Best of luck, Shakur, for July 13th. Thank you so much for your time, and I'm sure that we'll talk sometime after. All right, thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. I has what you got? Uh, Michael Conlon will face Argentina's Diego Alberto Ruiz, live and exclusive on ESPN, Stateside, and BT Sport in the UK on the 3rd of August. 
Yeah, obviously it was supposed to be nicotine. Um, you know, Conlon wanted to try and avenge that very controversial loss in the Olympics to him, but he pulled out. So uh, in steps, like you say, Diego Ruiz, the Argentinian fighter, 25 years of age, a record of 21 and two. Um, these two losses came. You know, to guys that that were not very good, he, he got disqualified against a guy who was four and four in 2015, and he lost unanimously over six rounds to a guy that was three and two with three draws back in 2016. So, very very padded record actually, and obviously it's going to be a a spectacular win for Conlon on the night. It's a big big step down, you know, to go from nicotine to this guy, but it's not necessarily Conlon's fault. Carl Frampton will return to the ring on August the 10th and face Emmanuel Dominguez um, in a 12-round fight. Yeah, Carl Frampton back in action, like we say. It's obviously a drop-down in level from the the last fight against Josh Warrington. Um, Dominguez, I mean, a record of 26-8 and eight with two draws. Only been stopped the two times, but worryingly... Um, the most recent time he was stopped was actually against Jordan Gill. It was back in March of this year. He stopped him in three rounds, didn't he? And uh, I think he also lost by stoppage to Emmanuel Navarrete, if that's the same guy. But anyway, you wouldn't imagine he'd be able to pose any kind of a threat to Carl Frampton. But the one thing is, this guy is five foot nine, so Carl Frampton giving away a bit of height there, to say the least. So it could be interesting, but I very much doubt it. And finally... Uh, Juan Francisco Estrada has signed with Matchroom Boxing and Eddie Hearn. Yeah, absolutely. Real breaking news uh, that we got to to hear. I think it was the back end of last week now, I I believe it was. Um, It's a groundbreaking signing, if we're being honest. I mean... You look at the top 10 pound-for-pound kind of list now, and they're all on the zone. I mean, obviously, Anthony Joshua seems like he's crashed out of that top 10 pound-for-pound list. You've got Canelo on there. You've got uh, Golovkin on there. You know, there's guys up there like Andrade. Um, who am I missing off that list? You know, obviously, you've got people like uh, Daniel Jacobs. Um, Lomachenko not on there yet. Usyk on there now. Um, who else am I missing? Who else am I missing? Terence Crawford not on there yet, but... You know, a lot of those top 10 guys, especially in terms of the big name guys, they're on the zone. I mean, the two biggest names in boxing, obviously, are Canelo and Joshua. They're both on the zone. But this is a fighter here that is a true pound-for-pound fighter, Estrada. And, you know, it obviously makes fights like um, like the Cal Yafai fight easier to now make. Um, we, we obviously mentioned Cal Yafai earlier on in the show. Wasn't very impressive, but now that's a door open for him. He, he could have the big fight here against Estrada, or he could perhaps fight Charlie Edwards, which is what I'd rather see him do. But um, he's supposed to be fighting on the 24th of August, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's headlining the show in Mexico. So all the best to him, and uh, it's going to be good to see him on Sky Sports, of course. And that's it for the news. Thank you very much, Ayaz. Right, moving over now to the preview part of the show. We really are reaching because there's not too much to mention at all. We're going to start here uh, in the Bolton Whites Hotel. This one's tomorrow, Friday. Uh, Two fights to mention over here. Um, No, actually, just the one. Hosea Burton, 23-1. and He hasn't boxed since November of last year. Um, You know, since that loss to Frank Buglioni, he's been fighting complete no-marks, really. It's a real shame because I really believe in his talent. But he takes on another no-mark, unfortunately. Edgar's Sniedzi, who's 6-26. and Oh, boy. Um, Yeah, it's it's a shame, that. I'd like to see Jose Burton doing a lot more than that. I believe also on that card was supposed to be 
Uh, supposed to be someone else. Can't remember who it was, but perhaps not. Maybe not. Um, yeah, moving out now to Germany at the CU Arena in Hamburg. One or two fights to mention. Firstly, Igor McCorkin, former opponent of um, of Kovalev, twenty two and two. He fights for the interim IBO World Light Heavyweight Title against Timur Nakarkoev, who's twenty one and two. Um, it's a decent fight. I mean, I remember McCorkin. He, he he made a bit of a fan of me because um, I didn't expect him to put up any kind of threat to Kovalev. And he showed a decent chin up until he got stopped. He hit Kovalev with some good shots. He hasn't actually boxed since um, since September of last year. And the man in the other corner, um, well, I mean, he hasn't really boxed fantastic opponents. He got stopped in five rounds by Avni Yildirim. So you'd have to say probably McCorkin wins that one. But that should be decent. And topping the bill, actually... Um, home fighter Sebastian Formella, 20-0 and with 10 knockouts. He takes on Fulani Mbenge, the South African, 15-0. and A real good fighter, Mbenge, obviously traveling here to Germany. So it could be interesting, but I think Mbenge is a guy with a real bright future in that welterweight division, even though it's completely stacked at the minute. But, you know, he's got a good ranking, I think, with some of the world-sanctioning bodies and stuff like that. But yeah, Formella, a guy I don't really know too much about. He's 32 years of age, though. I'm not quite sure. I've n- never really heard of him. Um, but he's getting the South African to travel, so that could be interesting there. Moving out now to Kazakhstan at the Barry's Arena. Um, Got to be honest, the undercard isn't up to much, but the main event is for the WBC World Bantamweight title. We've got Nordin Ubali, 15-0, the champion. Obviously, um, in his last fight, it was the win against Roche Warren. Um, obviously, those two had a bit of um, a bit of history in, in the amateurs. Ubali won in the amateurs, and Ubali won unanimously in the pros. And he takes on here in his first defense, 32-3 and with one draw off of Villanueva, the guy that we saw today. Take on Zolani Tete back in 2017. He lost to Tete on points in a real boring fight. He also got stopped by Luis Neary in November of 2017. Um, yeah, it's a decent defense for Obali, really, I suppose. It's not a great fight. It's not one I'm going to be watching, I don't think. I think it may be on IFL TV, if I'm not mistaken, that one, or Box Nation. It's one of those two. And um, finally, the final bill to mention here, it takes place at the Stadion Miedzki in Poland. We've got Lukas Rosanski, 10-0. He's a heavyweight prospect. He's in a 10-rounder against Izwagbi Ugano. That's the guy who gave, um, well, gave a real fight to... Dominic Brazil it was an up and down fight. I think they both went down, and then Ugano ended up getting stopped. He's the the black guy from Poland. Eighteen and one is his record. Obviously, that one loss by stoppage to Brazil, but he hasn't done much since then. Um, and this guy, like I say, ten and zero. I know he's been sparring Michael Hunter in Poland um, about a week or so ago. So it could be interesting that fight. But like I say, we've got to bring you something in the preview part of the show, and we really are reaching nothing big going on in the states. Nothing big going on really in the UK. And that's about everything for the preview part of the show. So just before we wrap up part two and ultimately end the show, it is, of course, time to welcome our second and final guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former two-time world title challenger, Mr. John Molina Jr. John, welcome to the show, sir. 
Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on, John. So it's the first time you've been on the show. I want to start just by saying that one of the very best fights I've seen in the last five or six years, probably more than that, has to be that fight you had with Lucas Matisse. What do you remember from that night? It was a complete war. Brilliant fight. Uh, definitely a great fight. Uh, one that I, I thought we should have done it again. But um, it was an all-out slugfest. It was my first introduction to uh, 140 pounds as uh, this next fight will be my first introduction to 147 pounds. Yeah, and like I say, an epic fight. For anyone that's listening that hasn't seen it, boy, oh boy, go and check that one out. And obviously, John, last time you boxed was earlier this year against Omar Figueroa. Omar managed to get the win unanimously, but the fight really could have gone either way. Am I correct in saying that you felt you certainly did enough on the night? I believe I did enough. I think the boxing experts uh, around the world uh, thought that I had the nod. Uh, that I got the nod, um, but it is what it is, water under the bridge, and we're off to the next. And talking of the next, that will be against Sergei Lipanets. What do you know about Sergei, John? Uh, Sergei's a tough kid. I've known him since he came over to the States. Uh, very tough, durable, uh, formidable opponent, and he's an ex-world champion for good reason because he's, a, a, again, a tough guy. But uh, I know he's going to come and, and, and bring it that night, so it's going to make for another explosive fight which all my fights seem to always be that way (laughs) and you know you mentioned that you've known the guy for quite a while obviously i'm guessing you must have tuned in for his fight against peterson and probably against mikey um he's got that kind of come forward style lipanets but i'm sure that kind of works hand in hand you want a guy to come to you and if you land with that right hand um very rarely do people get up from that i'm sure you know the styles gel real good Absolutely. I think the, the, the powers that be when they put this fight together knew what, exactly what they were doing. And it was going to be a good, um, you know, a good segue into the, the Pacquiao-Thurman card. And um, again, I think it's a great fight stylistically. I think he's a tough, uh, tough opponent and ex-world champion for, for good reason. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this fight. Definitely looking forward. I'm not going to have to go find the guy to say the least. <laughs> and talking of the main event, Manny Pacquiao versus Keith Furman, another cracking card here. Um, who do you have, uh, who do you like, I should say, in the main event? Because um, it's a real intriguing one. I really like the fight. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's very intriguing. It's a great fight. Um, everyone's judging off of uh, Thurman, off of his last uh, performance. And what people don't know is that Josecito Lopez is no slouch. This guy is, uh, it, it should be up there in the top tier of the fighters. And for Thurman to pull out the victory, even in the fashion that he did, it speaks volumes of where Thurman's at. I don't think people are giving Thurman the credit uh, because of the, the way he looked in the, in the last outing. But with that being said, I think uh, Manny Pacquiao, granted he is in his 40s now, um, he's still going to be a handful. And I think the styles mesh well together. I think uh, Pacquiao's fast. He's going to move. And um, Thurman is is a great boxer. And I think Pacquiao has uh, fast enough feet to keep up with him. And, John, I want to ask you this. I mean, I personally believe that you were at 135 and you had some real tough guys there when you were there. Obviously, you moved up to 140 and you just kind of landed in bad luck with, with all the guys that was there, especially the likes of Terence Crawford. But I really feel like you were a guy that was certainly good enough to become a world champion. Do you ever kind of, I don't know, kind of feel like you've underachieved, if anything? You know, being a guy that started boxing at 18 years old, 
I feel like I've uh, I've gained a lot of accolades and a lot of respect in, in this sport to making my profession, to making my livelihood. And I've given a lot to the sport, and I feel the fans appreciate what I've given to the sport. But I'm not done yet, and um, I'm not going to say one way or the other about a world title or, or, or not a world title. I've won every regional title. I've won every, uh, you know, the international title. I've won the interim title. I'm missing one covenant title, and that's a world title. But uh, with that being said, my, my job's not done. I got a, a, a hell of a fight against Lipinets. And with that being said, I think a victory against someone like Lipinets is going to put me in a great position. And I also want to ask you this, John. Obviously, you've been around the game now for a long, long time. You've been boxing half your life, um, a little bit longer perhaps. You won't overlook someone like Lipinets, but have you kind of got in the back of your head anyone at all on your radar that you do want to fight at some stage up at 147? Um, you know, just before your days are out kind of thing. Is there anyone that you do want to mix it with? You know, right now, um, my, my, my focus, again, I'm going to give the, uh, the the answer that every fighter that's in his uh, right mind going to give. I have uh, my hands full with Lipinets. I think he's a very tough, formidable opponent. I want to get past that, and then uh, we can we can readdress that question after we get the victory July 20th. Yeah, well said. And I want to ask you this, John. Like I say, you've mixed it with so many good fighters, um, especially like back-to-back even. You've been in some huge fights who would you say is the best fighter that you've ever boxed in a pro ring huh what i'm gonna say is gonna sound um a little you know this is my personal experience i speak for myself but i think one of the toughest guys i've ever shared this squared circle with stylistically and athletically would be uh adrian broner believe it or not uh he was very difficult uh to put a finger on him no, that's not. It's not too surprising. I mean, Crawford. I thought you were going to say. I mean, obviously a brilliant fighter, but no. Broner's yeah, a lot of people would have thought that, but no. Broner's uh, athletic ability when he wants to fight is uh, he's he's pretty darn good. Now, if he had the focus to go along with his ability, I think he could have done really well for himself. Okay, fair enough. And I just want to ask you, in terms of training situations, John, um, are you still are you still with Joe? No, no, no. I'm with Robert Alcazar. I've been with him for the last two years. And the funny uh, backstory to this fight is Joe Goosen is now training Sergey Lipinets. Yes, of course, of course, of fight. course. I should have thought of that. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, what's that going to be like being uh, in the corner, the corner opposite to Joe? <laughs> uh, you know, it's all business at the end of the day. Um, and you said it best yourself. I'm a veteran of, of 13 years as a pro. And um, there's nothing that anyone can do in that ring that I haven't seen before whether that be with Joe Goosen or, or any trainer for that matter. But um, I respect Joe. I think he's a hell of a trainer, one of the best that I've ever had. And I know he's going to um, have Sergey uh, in tip-top shape ready for the fight, so expect fireworks. We certainly will. And finally, John, I just want to give you an opportunity to send a message out to uh, to your to your supporters here in the UK because trust me when I say this, the UK fans really do enjoy your style. And a lot of us have stayed up till the early hours of the morning to watch a fight card and you've made it worth staying up for. I appreciate that. Uh, in the UK, all over the world, I appreciate my fans. I, I, fight, I fight for the fans. I'm a kid... Uh, that comes with the backstory that, again, started boxing at the age of 18. And to make it to this level and, and, and um, to accomplish these accolades, you know, this is how I feed my family. 
And I, I want to fight for every one of the hardworking men in the world that uh, get up every day to feed their families. This is why I do what I do and leave it all on the line. John, listen, I want to wish you the absolute best of luck for July 20th in Vegas. Thank you so much for your time, and I'm sure that we'll speak again after the fight. Absolutely. Yeah, you have a good one. Okay, and this wraps up episode 194 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the 2016 Olympic silver medalist and undefeated featherweight world contender Shakur Stevenson and the former two-time world title challenger John Molina Jr. I do just want to quickly apologize for the slight echoing on the John Molina Jr. interview. I hope it was still listenable for all of you. The Prediction League currently Currently stands at myself in the lead on seven points. Ayaz is in second place with six points and you, the listeners, are on five points. It is very, very close. It's been a very short show this week. Uh, next week's show will also be pretty short, I'd imagine, because there's not really any big-time boxing this weekend or next weekend. Uh, but as always, of course, there will be another show for you, even if it just consists mainly of the interviews that we bring each week. You can certainly count on us to deliver. Thank you all for listening to this week's podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend, and we shall see you all again next week. <laughs>